no, ma no amount of motivation is going to change the way you feel. But if you can commit to yourself and honor your commitments and doing whatever you need to do to, to make sure that you reach your goals financially, then you have to reverse engineer how to do that. And, and one of those things for me is, is on the physicality aspect of it and making sure that my health is in order. So. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners. Today I have Kyle Jones, one of my apartment partners. And if you guys haven't heard of him before, he was on episode 152. We, uh, we talked about... Um, Know, kind of getting started in apartment investing and but today we have a big he has a big announcement for folks <laughs> big big announcement kyle what's that announcement what's, what's the big one well i am pulling a copycat move like you and i quit my job my corporate job that is so i have exited the corporate world i uh, left my position at ibm and i'm now a full-time real estate investor and entrepreneur so maybe um, for those of who, who will never go back and listen to episode 152, why don't you give a little a uh, little synopsis of what you've been up to the last you know decade of your life? Um, <laughs> take us back so people can kind of get a little bit of background. And then I think what we're going to do here, so the, the value add is like I, for a lot of uh, listeners is a lot of you guys are right on the cusp of quitting your day job. Right. But a lot of us are high paid working professionals uh, where we make a lot of money and it's the total golden handcuffs. So at what point, what is the thought processes? What are the things that we didn't think of before we kind of pulled the plug? But uh, Kyle, why don't you, yeah, give us a little background sure. and, and context here. Sure. Yeah. So um, I guess a little bit about me. I, I'm based in Houston. Um, I, been investing in real estate. Um, I started probably about eight years or so ago with single families, um, but really didn't start getting serious into multifamily until about five years ago. And then um, kind of fast tracking through it, we started buying properties with our own dime, you know, through my earnings at IBM and, uh, you know, in sales there. And I was earning commissions and bonuses and things like that. And so was using those funds to purchase smaller multifamily before I realized that at some point you're going to run out of capital. And so I'd rather leverage the capital that I had left that wasn't tied up in equity to fund syndications and raising money and bringing investors to the table at that point so we could continue to scale the portfolio and ultimately creating enough cash flow so that I could eventually leave the corporate world or at least have the option. You know, my first goal was to just replace expenses. That was my first goal, you know, build up enough cash flow where if something happened and I, I was let go or, you know, global pandemic happened or, or whatever, I could be um, okay because we at least had our expenses covered. And then when that really became a reality, then it was, okay, now let me really replace my W-2 income or get close to it so that I could, uh, you know, if I was getting closer to it, I could see light at the end of the tunnel where if I just focus more time and effort into 
finding more deals and creating more cash flow, then I, I, I could personally get to that comfort level to hit the eject button. But, you know, there's an allure in this, in this space and podcast land and real estate guru land where it's, you know, it's really cool to quit your job and, and there's like a, a lore with it and everything else, which I certainly agree with. But I also think there's a, the reality is a lot of the people that you might find that do this, you know, they weren't like me and you where we are high paying high, or we were high paid professionals. You know, they were somebody who had a entry level job and they decided to go all in. Maybe they didn't have a really high risk profile. I have a wife and three kids. So it just took me longer to get to a point to feel comfort in, in the fact that I had enough cash flow and everything else. And so, you know, kind of going off on a tangent now, but those are some of the things that I think get lost. And, and just because somebody says they quit their job to focus on real estate investing, you know, sometimes there's a reality behind the scenes that doesn't you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a meaningful thing necessarily versus somebody who's leaving a, um, a corporate job. Yeah. I mean, I had a, in. I had like a info page on this a while ago, simple com slash quit. I don't think I ever shared that with you, but people either fall on one side of this argument, right? Do you quit your day job to go after real estate? You know, I think you and I are aligned with that. Like, no, it's, if you make more than 80, hundred grand a year, your highest and best use is likely at your day job. But we're, we're in this ethos where a lot of you know, other people, they make under 50, 60 grand a year. And for those people, it makes total sense to, yeah, quit your day job because you're not making much there anyway, dude. Right. Like, you, could, um, you could replace that through, through probably two or three deals right. and be fine. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a predicament that I've always had. I mean, because we, we raise capital and, you know, we, we always had, investors at least that would um you know while you had quit your job i think they would come and ask me hey when's kyle gonna quit his job and i think there's also an aspect of it where just because i'm still working full-time doesn't mean i haven't set up the appropriate measures to put a strong team in place i mean that's frankly that's the only way that i would have been able to even do this on the side and still work a full-time job that you know granted it's it was flexible you know, it, it was, I worked from home for many years beyond uh, pre-COVID and everything else. I've been working from home for 10 years. So there's flexibility in that. But there's also, you know, an element to where if, you, if you're truly passionate about that and you're not there yet, you could go find a job that's more flexible because I get it. Not everybody could work from home. I mean, now it's obviously different because we're in the pandemic times, but pre-COVID and maybe, you know, 2021 when people are back in the office, they could tailor their job efforts towards finding remote capability or remote uh, options, you know, work, work from home options, if you will, to allow them that flexibility to be able to, to do some more things on the side, whether it's real estate or another side hustle. One question that always comes up on, you know, from, from passive investors, and it's a good question to ask is right. Like, are the sponsors, this is their full-time gig or not on one side of the story, I have kind of tried to work with professionals. Um, a lot of the partners that I choose to work with are 100K and above people who you know kick butt at their day job as opposed to some random person. I, I don't know. I mean, when you go on LinkedIn and you see someone as an entrepreneur, I mean, it's the year 2020. That means you don't have a job. You couldn't find the job, right? <laughs> 
still. I mean, <laughs> this isn't the yeah. 1990s anymore. We're all we're all tipped off to that. But I know. I mean, do you have any idea, uh, thoughts on that? You know, I mean, there's pros and cons both ways. You know? Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of relatable skills that I took from my corporate uh, job. I mean, I've always been in sales. So there's obviously, there's a lot of uh, transferable skills with just being able to build rapport, being able to sell a deal. You know, not only I was selling technology to cut like, you know, uh, big corporations, but I was also now I'm selling deals to investors and getting passion behind that. So <clears throat> Also, just putting a team together, putting a strong team together, project management skills. I mean, you have those. I have those from just the leadership skills that I uh, developed in the corporate world. It's still putting teams together and, and then getting behind the team and making sure that you're staying, staying in touch and, and providing oversight. But you're also not having to get into the nitty gritty details uh, as well. Like it kind of reminds me like when we are, we have a deal that we closed where there's like a three properties in there and we're splitting up the accounting and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is just like how at back at the day job where we kind of make things complicated on purpose just to confuse ourselves. It's like, here we are doing it again. Yeah. There's probably a reason why and we're comfortable with it because we're used to that complexity in a large corporation, respecting the chain of command. I think, you know, working with property managers and other professionals is a big thing. Yeah. There's still a big difference between investing with somebody who current IT worker still working in the, you know, their day job. You don't know how much of their bandwidth is going to their day job or running your deal and being a steward of their money. Um, some people will say, well, I'm all for funding people, you know, people going after their dreams. I don't want to be the person putting in 50, 100 grand so somebody can feel it out to finally, you know. Yeah make it on their own <laughs> right <laughs> right right so now you can kind of fully come out and say that right <laughs> exactly it's like the uh, the chicken and the egg thing you've got to have a track record to be able to do that but you also you know if you're a high earning professional and you've got a family you can't just jump ship you know it's it, for me too it's kind of scary i mean i'm i'm doing it in the middle of this pandemic when a lot of people are uh, unfortunately out of work you know, whether the pandemic happened this year or not, I mean, nobody could have predicted it, but this was a year that I was coming into it looking at, hey, this could be the year that I leave the corporate world. And and that's what I, let's, let's kind of unpack this because this is yeah. the, you've been planning this for quite some time. Um, you already mentioned you have a, a wife and three kids, so you're not just another bro who just goes to the gym a lot. Um, you got responsibilities. Tell tell us about like I know in the beginning of like your corporate life 10, 10 years ago, you were drinking the Kool-Aid of climbing the corporate ladder. Like what what was the mindset of Kyle Jones early two thousand? Well, I mean, frankly, or were you still thinking you're going to make it to the major leagues? You know. <laughs> No, I mean, and, and it, it got tempting here as of later in my career because I I finally did have some of that tenure at IBM and I was being looked at, you know, even executive type positions. And there were other positions that I've actually, even the last 10, uh, two years, I had actually turned down that would have set me up to be, you know, director VP type. Yeah. Going back, I mean, yeah, I definitely wanted to move through the ranks and, um, you know, my first goal was to work for an organization like IBM or a Microsoft and, and Oracle, which I worked at all three of those corporations. These are large 
high tech software organizations. I think that just mainly stemmed from my dad. So I kind of fell into the trap of just falling in line with the way that my dad did uh, um, his career and, and handled that and went about, you know, raising his family. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I lived a good childhood, but for me, it ultimately came down to uh, truly what freedom is. And it sounds kind of hokey, but I mean, you know, if you're working in a corporate environment, you are working towards building somebody else's goals and dreams versus just yours. I mean, obviously you could, there's a subset of that. And that's kind of what we're talking about now. You could develop this career path to get there. You know, I want to be a sales manager and then a director and then a VP. So you have the hierarchy and that's exactly what I wanted until I did see my dad get laid off, basically forced into early retirement from the company he was working for. Also still a high tech software organization. And that's really what kicked it into overdrive. And that is also the kind of re just that timing of it is, is what I needed to, to just kind of get my wife on board as well. She was already supportive, but it didn't really resonate with her until I said, Hey, look over here, look what my dad's going through. Like we need to figure this out now so that we never have to worry about this. And she got it because she saw what my dad was going through. So that was kind of like the, the event that kickstarted it and really shifted me into overdrive and, and being way more intentional about my investing, the types of deals I was looking for and things like that. Um, it was all, it's always, it's always been about cash flow. You know, there's now we're getting to a point where we're doing some, maybe some heavier lifting. So there's uh, more of an appreciation play in there, but early on and even still looking for cash flow producing deals. So just about getting multiple streams of income. So if you can get, you know, 20, 30 K hits and just kind of stack those up on top of each other before you know it, that's, that's where you're at. Your family is very similar to my family. Like we both have a bunch of poor dads, right. That are still working. Both of them are still working. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, We have kind of a friendly competition when, actually one of our dads is going to pull the trigger and actually invest in one of these deals. They just don't get it. Right. (laughs) But so, so what is it? Some people will say it's either your family doesn't really understand what you do. Like a lot of, like I think my parents still think I'm like a real estate agent. They don't understand. They still think I should have been an engineer or is it just like, you know, you spent all this time building this tenure to kind of blow it away. Right. Mm -hmm. What, what is the bigger of the two? You know, I think uh, the in in my because uh, I've had conversations with my dad, and I think he's always said, uh, especially later in his career, to he's encouraged me to go after this. And he said, if I had to do it over, that's what I would have done. You know, so he's been pretty transparent about that. So in a way, I think he is. Um, you know, he's proud of me, and you know, kind of stepping out and taking some risk early on. And I think he wishes he would have done some of that. So, you know, the appetite to actually invest now at his age, I mean, he's at that, he's at that uh, retirement age where he needs to watch where he's putting his money. He can't just go, his risk profile is much different than, you know, when it was in his thirties. But yeah, that's kind of how it's transitioned through the mindset. And and it's given me more confidence and, and faith to go out and try to achieve this now. So we'll get into a little bit of like, what were the things at the end that kind of tipped the scale for you? 
um, as you kind of built that runway. But what are some tips to manage the workload while you're doing the W-2? Get some ideas going there. Yeah, I definitely think I had a huge advantage just with the type of job that I had. And so that does come down to being able to work from home. And I think, you know, there's one thing that the coronavirus has has, uh, done for a lot of corporations, and that's shown them that a lot of the productivity can still be accomplished by working from home. And so I think we're going to see a lot of companies that are going to allow that more often. So take advantage of it, especially right now, you know, if you're still sitting and working at home, take advantage of the time because that's the only way that I was able to do it. And, and I had a job where, you know, my boss wasn't breathing down my neck as long as I was taking care of what I needed to do and staying on top of, you know, the things that were required of me, I was left alone. And so I had to stay extra diligent on the IBM stuff to kind of build up and, and be able to take the time to, to work on the, the side investing. Stay off the radar, right? Yeah, stay <laughs> off the radar. And that's, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, I, whereas usually that's a, I was having a conversation with one of my former colleagues um, just this week when I was kind of telling him what I was doing and everything else. And that's one of the things that he mentioned. He was like, you know, you've always done what you needed to do, but you kind of stayed off the radar. You know, that allowed you to, you know, do these other things. And, and I had confided to him a little bit. He knew I was investing in real estate. I don't think he knew to what extent, but if you're, if you, you've got to pick, do you want to be a passive investor or an active investor? And I think you can achieve true financial freedom through passive investing, but it's going to take working more hours at your day job to get the money to invest passively or on the active side, you've got to be able to work essentially two full-time jobs and have some nights where you stay up a little bit later or get up a little bit earlier to work on the side hustle. It's just about committing and identifying what you want, but then committing to how you're going to get it done. I've been investing with AHP since 2017 to buy distressed mortgages and discounts to offer struggling families sustainable solutions to stay in their homes. When homes were vacant, AHP recognized that lenders frequently struggled as they tried to limit their losses. That's why owner George Dewberry founded Pre-REO, a platform that gets these vacant properties into the hands of local investors like us during the foreclosure process, which mitigates losses to lenders and accelerates returns for investors. A win-win. I'm very excited about this platform that connects local investors with court-appointed receivers in their area to cost-effectively repair, lease, and maintain and rent vacant homes during the foreclosure process and ultimately make a profit. I've been checking out local properties here in Hawaii and I think it's a great way to finally pick up my home to live in, even though I think homes to buy aren't probably the best. You can learn more about Pre-REO by going to simplepassivecashflow.com slash Pre-REO. So, I mean, passive investing, if you're spending more than a few hours a week researching stuff, you're doing it the wrong way. I mean, it really should be a few hours a month from a passive investor standpoint. You just don't have the network or you're just wasting your time on the wrong stuff. Kyle's obviously more of an active investor, but, you know, maybe, maybe you kind of break down your day a little bit, like, especially in how did you spend all the time for your family, right? Because you had to partition things. Um, So people are a bad passive investor, do spend too much time doing it. Maybe they can kind of emulate what you did. 
But um, yeah, how much? I mean, how much hours did the IBM thing take? Typically, I mean, I, I was. I mean, still... it's safe to say now, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, some days it'd be a full eight hours. Some days it'd be ten. Some days it'd be four or five. I mean, it just depends on the day and the amount of customer calls that I had and the types of deals I was working. You know, it wasn't a, a, always a, a, a rigid schedule, but I mean, for the most part. I stuck to my routine and that was, I mean, one of the things that I did, I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning. I know you know this because, you know, we, when we've been at some of those conferences, we've buddied up and <laughs> my alarm goes off early, especially when your body's still on Hawaiian time. I know that's um, super early for you, but. I know I'm still, sometimes I'm in the Dropbox and I see <laughs> you getting up. I'm like, all right, I gotta go to sleep now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. That's one of the things that I, um, that fit my schedule rather than staying up late, you know, you've got to kind of pick, I mean, you still want to try to get some sleep where you can, but, um, for me, it was getting to bed a little bit earlier, but waking up at an extreme time so that I could, you know, have the runway uninterrupted time to, to do the things that I did to catch up and then, you know, then sprinkle throughout the day. So I would spend, you know, the first parts of my morning after I, you know, I have a morning routine and everything else doing what I need to do on the real estate stuff and catching up and then, and then kind of shifting gears. So compartmentalizing, shifting gears to IBM, and then usually had some calls in the morning around IBM, you know, for the most part, if I didn't have any deals that I was underwriting that day or anything else, there might be a day where I'm not really doing anything real estate related because the whole goal is to find a, a, a capable, efficient property manager to do the heavy lifting so that maybe you're only spending a few hours a week, you know, reviewing financials or reviewing your weekly reports. And yes, we have weekly calls with our property manager, but those are, you know, we, we would do ours. It'd be hour and a half on Monday and an hour on Friday. So that's only re really two and a half hours of time. And then throughout the week, there were, you know, some one-off questions. So, you know, there's really not a, um, now tax time is more difficult. It's much more involved. I've got to be more responsive with the accounting needs and things like that because people need their K-1s and we need to be diligent with our investors. But like at a time right now in August where there's not much going on, we, we have some rehabs going on. So there's not a whole lot of day-to-day -day combat that I need to be involved with. Um, I still get a random call every now and then from our property manager with a one-off question. It's rarely an emergency situation that can't wait for those calls. So I'm going to keep that structure in place because I want to continue to have more free time and really focus efforts and some other projects and things like that, you know, like finding more deals or, you know, just taking the sophistication up another notch with um, the way that we operate our deals. You know, there's there's little things, little projects that I can take on now that I probably couldn't before. How, well, how do you kind of, do you know your kid's name? Do they know you? You know, are you <laughs> the next guy that wakes up early yeah. in the morning and crashes at 10, nine to yeah. 10, comes down for dinner, grabs some ready-made food, brings a bowl. How do, you, <laughs> how do you bring that? Do you partition a certain time for that stuff? I do, I mean, it's a little bit easier, you know, they're around all day now. So there's a lot of mix and match with the, you know, them being home from school and 
um, and then trying to take breaks, more breaks throughout the day, but also I'm pretty rigid also on the back end of the day. I try to shut off between five and 5.30 and really just focus um, my entire efforts towards my family. I try to put my phone away as much as I can. I don't, I'm not always successful in leaving work behind. You know, usually if I can schedule it out, you know, like we've done some calls in the evenings and, um, you know, might go to what works like with, if you and I need to catch up and we haven't been able to catch up during the day, I don't mind scheduling a call at eight o'clock my time because that's when, you know, we generally put the kids to sleep and you and I can catch up real quick. I just try to keep the, the evenings open for my family and just be as efficient as possible throughout the day. Um, now, I mean, frankly, I don't really take a lunch break. I'll eat and then take intermittent breaks throughout the day. And I picked up, I picked that up somewhere. I think it might have been the deep work guy, where you don't take these long breaks. You just take like intermittent breaks in an hour. So. You know, yeah, I think I, I heard that too on some podcasts like four or five years ago, like it was some like one of these like geniuses or like some kind of like, like a classical musical composer, he would go in his room for like, like 15 minutes or two hours, and then he would set the timer and then he would come back out and then just totally screw off for 20 or 30 minutes. And then like clock where he goes right back in there. It's like the often like the most optimal time or you gotta everyone's a little yeah. different right yeah no that's kind of worked out for me just making making it uh more regular i guess versus like taking a long extended break and then you come back tired i mean you don't want to have a big meal because you don't want to be dragging in the afternoon you've got to make sure that you sleep efficiently so there's like some health components that i i make sure to take care of my body and the physical aspect of it too just so i can have the energy yeah sort of like a, a basketball player he goes out you know middle of the third quarter so you can come back you know 11 minutes in the fourth quarter it's like very niche very strategic on, on that type like of the whole stuff. Yeah. yeah so i mean you and i are a little different i think when i was working you're, you seem to be a little more partitioned right like you have phases throughout the day yeah it's not always perfect but i think i was I worked maybe my last few four, five, four years of in my day job. I maybe only did about a couple hours of work a day, and it was very steady. You seem to be all over the place with your W two job demands, but I was pretty steady. I could knock it out in a couple hours, and then it was yeah. just real estate all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we, you know, in my job, we were still kind of at the mercy of another person's schedule. Um, so that's a big part of it. You know, you've got to trying to sell a customer a deal um, on the IBM side or sell them a product, you've got to kind of work around their schedule, to cater to them. So it wasn't always perfect, but I generally tried to have some free time in there every day that was allocated towards doing something around real estate, whether it was around the operational side of it or even just trying to find new deals. Any other tips to, for the W2 working stiff out there? <laughs> You know, for me, I can't, I, I kind of mentioned it just now, but I mean, the, it gets overlooked a lot, but the physical aspect of just taking care of your body and taking care of your health, there is no way that I could have done what I've been doing and, and operating with the amount of potential stress that could be there. So you just got to take care of your body. 
And that's not just eating right, that's exercise, but more importantly, that's also sleep. And that's what I've learned. It just all goes together. And if one thing's out of whack, it can really derail your day. I mean, you're, if you don't have the energy, like we were just talking about, if you don't have the energy, it's not going to happen. And, and if you don't feel well, I mean, no, ma- no amount of motivation is going to change the way you feel. But if you can commit to yourself and honor your commitments and doing whatever you need to do to, to make sure that you reach your goals financially, then you have to reverse engineer how to do that. And, and one of those things for me is, is on the physicality aspect of it and making sure that my health is in order. So how many hours of sleep are you typically shooting for? You know, waking up at four, I'm usually trying to go to bed between nine and nine thirty. So it, it comes out to about six full hours of sleep. Not everybody can operate on six hours, but you know, whatever you feel like your body needs, you know, you've got to listen to your body and you know, there's certain things that's, and that's one thing I've actually been, you know, I had been reading up and studying sleep and, you know, just trying to better my sleep habits. And I think that's where our, our diet and our exercise, all that will affect our sleep. And if that's not in order, you're not going to be able to sleep efficiently. Yeah. I, I've been doing like a two thirty PM nap every day. There was a book yeah. called when, I don't know who wrote it, but that was the takeaway from the book. It's, you know, you're dragging ass anyway at, in the afternoon. <laughs> you might as well just knock it in the head and take a nap. Yeah, I, I've actually tried that and experimented with that where it's like, you know, they say like a 20-minute nap or a 30-minute nap. And I've tried them all. I've tried 20 minutes. I've tried 30 minutes. I've tried an hour. They do not work for me. If I crash, like I'm done. I'm toast. Like if I take a nap, I'm done for the day. Yeah. <laughs> when I wake up, I don't want to do anything. Yeah. I'm starting to see that too. You know, it's just, I don't like waking up. So it's like two times where I'm like, God dang it. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, these are just ideas, guys, right? Like, I mean, Kyle's an early riser. I kind of tend to stay up late. Um, from what I hear from you guys, passive investors, I think most of you guys will put your kids down to sleep at what, eight or nine? Or if you're a little bit more uh, free range kids, it's 10 or 10 30, whenever they choose. <laughs> But then you guys are up from like 10.30 to 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, doing stuff on the computer on your own. So, hey, I, I think the thing is just try it out, right? Try to see what works, experiment. So let's transition to what was the final, like, you know, couple of things that had to change for you to finally quit the day job? I, mean, I know we had always, it, it's different for you. That's why I didn't understand why you didn't quit much earlier. Whether it's right or wrong, what were the the things that you needed, the metrics you needed to hit to be able to pull the plug and for yourself. Yeah, I think, well, one of the things that was a little bit tougher to manage was I I was going to do it as long as I could, meaning work, you know, stick with IBM and, and, and continue to do real estate to where I wasn't like super high stress, like feeling my anxiety at, at a high level, just like always feeling like I was just wired. And it, this year, more than ever, it was really starting to get to that point. I mean, we're starting to do some bigger deals, um, a lot more to manage and things like that. And so that was starting to intrude in my, in my headspace. And so I knew that, you know, especially the, the first deal that you mentioned, the first deal this year where we did the three property portfolio, I knew that was going to be 
a Kickstarter for me that could potentially make it happen. And so, and then we ended up and we're doing a development deal. And so, you know, the development deals a heavier lift. I mean, it's ground up construction. So I knew that in order for me to also be at my best from a steward of investor capital on that magnitude, it'd probably be good for me to go ahead and, and say goodbye. But like, I didn't just go out and do a development deal. I mean, I had set up some of these components in place. I mean, every deal that we did, it was just like one step closer to, you know, getting to the, to the freedom aspect of it. So I guess the metrics that I had put, you know, I kind of mentioned them earlier. It's number one, replacing expenses. Number two, getting close to, or having line of sight into um, replacing my, my income. Once I got to replacing my expenses, that's when I really just knew that it could be accelerated. And then, you know, from there, we just, we kept doing deals. I mean, you know, the part of it too, is just the, the work is really starting to pay off for what I have been able to do in developing relationships and some of these markets that we're investing in. And so, you know, there's plenty of deals to, to underwrite and, and, and analyze and see if they fit. And so I just think about how much more could we do potentially if I was able to operate full-time on all cylinders and have the, the headspace to just fully devote to, to real estate and growing the, the business there. One of those things you mentioned to me was like, you know, we get paid off asset management fee, like a, mm-hmm. you know, I think usually what one or 2% of income generated, kind of like a property manager. Right. And I think that the takeaway for other people is like, that can be akin to your passive investments, right? Like when that gets up to be a certain amount that exceeds your, your monthly spend, that is, that's kind of what you're, that's kind of the apex. In a way. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. So, you know, the way that we're making money from our side is asset management fees, um, acquisition fees, which certainly helps, which is more, I see acquisition fees, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to develop a business based on acquisition fees. I don't want to ever find myself where I have to go do a deal. That's more like bonus that in my world, that's like closing a deal at IBM. That's your bonus. That's not your base salary. And so, for a lot of larger institutional operators, that's really the only way they keep the lights on. It's like absolutely. one to $2 million payrolls. So they need to charge three, four or 5% acquisition fees. Exactly. If they're not doing deals, they can't operate efficiently or they have to scale down. And I just never wanted to build a business based purely on that. So, and then of course the cash flow that spits off, you know, we get the sweat equity and the, and the general partnership and then anything else on top of that, that we invest in our own deals. But your monthly overhead is pretty low. Like me personally, I think, yeah. I mean, now my rent's really cheap. Um, got a couple car payments. That's about it. I mean, I'm under, well, my, yeah, my wife's a teacher and I, I think I made it. So all the monthly charges go through her account and her, mm-hmm. her paycheck pays it all, all the reoccurring nice. expenses. I just like it because selfishly, I just like to see my account just go up. That's <laughs> what I make. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, part of the key is like a low overhead, right? Like personal yeah. finance overhead. Totally, totally. I mean, it's it's challenging. I mean, we, we take the joint account approach, uh, my wife and I, but, you know, we, we did uh, get on the same page about setting a budget and managing our expenses. Um, 
and and just figuring out a you know like how many times are we going to eat out uh, a week you know what are we going to set aside for just sludge money you know fun money what are you know and then of course we've got a regular repeating expenses but we also live and that's the other thing maybe it would take somebody moving i mean i know there's a lot of people that are listening to this and some of the areas of the country where real estate is just super expensive whereas i mean i'm in houston texas we live in a 3000 square foot house and where you could get a 3000 square foot house in another part of the country would be a couple million bucks and that's nowhere near what we paid for our house and so our mortgage is very small i mean very small compared to a lot of people that i know that live in hawaii or california or new york that you know are paying three, four thousand dollars in rent and they're in a thousand square foot apartment of some sort or something like that. So I mean, we, we see it all guys like we yeah. we approve all um, investor applications like before we PBMs go out and you and I see all the financial profiles of everybody. We know how much you guys make and we know how much your net worth is. I mean in a way, we have better oversight than CPAs since we actually know what you're <laughs> investing in. And there's a stark contrast. You know who is doing it the right way in their financial budgets and who is who's overspending, right? Who, who is a spendthrift yeah. spouse? Yeah. Um, night and day. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, um, I mean, we, not to scare anybody, but we have to review that. Um, we got to make sure that, you know, the right people are coming into our deals, but you know, and, you, and you're seeing it across the country, not just people who are trying to be a, in a real estate professional, but you're seeing a mass exodus in some of the coastal climates. I mean, people have been moving from California to Texas for years now. People are moving from New York down to the southern states and like Florida, or they're just moving into the suburbs. So it's been happening for a while, mm-hmm. but that might be what it takes. I mean, the property in the South and in the Midwest is cheaper than the coastal areas. That's just mm-hmm. a fact. And so, you know, that's an easy way to, if you are looking at this and you don't, maybe you don't have a family or maybe you don't have a lot of, maybe you do have a family, but you don't have a lot of commitments and your risk profile is pretty high and you can work anywhere you want. Why not look at living in a place that is just a lower cost of living and no state income tax and a lot of things like that that are set up for you to win versus the alternative, which doesn't leave a whole lot left for you to put back to invest at the end of the day after you pay all your taxes and your high cost of living and all that other stuff. But at the same time, Kyle and I did not make over $300,000 at our day job. So what can we say? And, um, <laughs> you know, I think, I guess that's probably might be a good problem to have on the one hand, but yeah, it's going to take you a lot of passive investing to be able to replace that income. I think like at least my goal for a lot of you guys is, especially if you're a higher income earner like that, because you get to a point in your mindset where you're investing, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's not a 20, 30 year tunnel. It might be a 5, 10 or even 12 year tunnel. And you get to a place in your mindset where you're good. Like, yeah, you have to come to this job every day, or maybe you go to part-time, but you're not there because out of fear where, you know, you're afraid of getting fired or you need that job, right? A pandemic comes and you're freaking out. I guess, Kyle, when did you kind of hit that point in your investing career that you maybe came over that apex of, you know, you didn't 
really needed the job. Like, yeah, you're going to keep it because it's good money. It's easy money. But it just wasn't that, you know, you didn't really need it. Or you're there more, things were lighter in terms of mindset. Yeah, I think, especially on the topic of really high earning professionals, you know, it might be challenging to get out there and, and really try to drum up deals. And maybe they do have a really demanding job. And so they frankly might be better fits to invest passively for now until something changes. Maybe, maybe they get a new job later on where they have a little bit more free time. Maybe they are required to be in an office right now at the moment, but down the line, they go and they get another job or, or frankly, they decide that the stress of, of the environment that they're in is too much and they um, are willing to sacrifice a little bit financially and allows them to have more time to go find deals. But I mean, either way, I think it can be done. It's just, what is your stress tolerance? What's your risk tolerance? And what are you willing to commit to, to, um, to get there? Yeah. At what point, at what point when in your investing, you kind of see the light that this was going to be your, your days at IBM were numbered? Well, I mean, for me, I was thinking through it. I mean, obviously I had, I was coming into this year knowing that this year could be the year just based on the pipeline that we had and the, and the deal volume that we had in front of us. You know, it wasn't ever like I was running from IBM and I still don't feel that way. I feel like I'm running towards something in real estate. Really, when we started finally closing a few of these deals that we had in the pipeline, that's when it started becoming a, a better reality. And once we got through uh, a big part of the due diligence process on this development deal that we had, we knew that this was probably it. And, you know, I think I shared that with you when, when we were doing our due diligence trip and in Huntsville and that this could be it. And sure enough, I mean, here we are. In a- April and May, we're a little scary. We didn't, we've never been through a pandemic I'm happy. Before. I'm still a little bit nervous about it. Was it what was that? Oh, you know, April and May, a little bit of, you know, stress and anxiety. We have never been through a pandemic, but after <laughs> seeing collections come through, sometimes even stronger in some places. Yeah, that was also key too, because I, you're right. I mean, okay, knowing what I know, I knew that this year could be the year. And so like, I was having those thoughts in March, hey, maybe this will be delayed a little bit. Maybe it's not this year, not knowing what collections would look like over the next couple months. But yeah, you're right. Collections have been where they need to be, if not better in most cases. So that certainly helped and gave me more confidence that, hey, this is actually working. This is is a good, strong asset class. and It's tested and we're testing it now. Maybe we're not through the entirety of it, but it sure feels like things are progressing and at least at our properties. Yeah, so, you know, things happen for a reason. Um, Most successful people, when things happen, they don't, they understand that things, another door opens. Um, so that can mean, you know, in Kyle's case, you know, a pandemic happens, it stress tests his theories that workforce <laughs> housing works, or it could mean somebody loses their job and finds a different one that has a little bit more free time to go finally pick up, pick up some single family homes, or, you know, even, you know, I'm sorry if you lost a whole bunch of money in the stock market, but I'm like, well, wake up, you know, it's all it's yeah. a bunch of fake money out there. Easy come, easy go. It's time yeah. to start investing in real assets. Uh, but yeah, Kyle, let's let's wrap up here. Um, take us to the story. How'd you let them know? Was it just like a little, 
little handwritten note or you know <laughs> some people put like a you know bag of dicks is what some people tell them oh no no, no, <laughs> no nothing, nothing like, like that, that. <laughs> yeah you, I, you got like along I with said, your I folks. wanted to <laughs> well I you know there's always that what if it uh what if factor bms you know mf anybody and you know get out of there <laughs> but uh i just you know it wasn't anything special i just called my boss now i did have to i kind of rehearse what i was going to say before i called him for a few minutes but i mean i've been rehearsing what i was going to say for, for for a month you know just said hey it's time for a new chapter in my life and i'm going to um, start focusing on real estate investing full time and I'm leaving the corporate world for now and just kind of left it uh, pretty casual and, and just real politically correct, real neutral. And he said, no, that's great. In fact, <laughs> he might be a potential investor because he said, Hey, I'd like to learn more about that because I've got all this money. Um, cause I'm your boss and I'm rich and I need a place to put it. So who knows? He may or may not invest. You know, I mean, my boss and I had a good relationship. I think if there's one takeaway that, you know, people can glean from this, it's, you know, at least when, in my experience, you know, you go through work, you have some politics, you know, sometimes things tick you off, but you, know, you forget about that, right? When you're outside the day job, it's just, you wonder why, like when you were in it, it was such a big issue. And when you, when it's, you don't have to go to the day job, you don't have to deal with all these people. It just seems a part of your life that you didn't need to do it. And now your life can really start now, right? Yeah, well, yeah Kyle, thanks for joining us. Uh, you want to get your contact uh, information out there for people to get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can post in the show notes, but my email is kjones at truepointcap.com. Uh, my website is www.truepointcap.com. All right, everybody. Well, uh, you know, you have to keep working the day job. That's cool. Just uh, just know that your days are numbered and, uh, you know, enjoy it, right? Whether you're working a day job or not, life's, life's short. So, all right. See you guys. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.